Okay, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, the Acts of the Apostles, Part 16. Just a housekeeping issue. Uh, <clears throat> as a few hours ago, we are now on iTunes uh, our podcast. So you can go to our church website, it'll link you to iTunes, and you can download Wednesday Night Bible Study. The audio is real good. You get all the information, everything there. So we are on iTunes. Uh, and then also check your email. Uh, because I also sent out the newsletter for October, and uh, that's on there. And if you don't get the newsletter, let us know, and we'll show you how to link that up so that you do get uh, the newsletter. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for the day and the time. We thank you for those who are here and on the way could make it, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you're giving us understanding and application into the Word of God, Lord, to help us be uh, better uh, people, Lord, but also to be a stronger church. And so, Father, we just thank you for this, and we just give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. If you remember from last week, uh, we left our hero Paul in Athens. And he's winding up his second missionary journey. And what's going to happen is we read right here in verse 18. Look on the screen. He's in Athens. And he's going to go to Corinth, where the Corinthians are at. And that's about a 50-mile journey right there from Athens to Corinth. So that's where we're at. So Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 3. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius was the uh, uh, Caesar at that time, Caesar Claudius. He had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So per your outline there, Paul was a tent maker. <laughs> Paul was a Jew. <laughs> Paul was a Greek. No, he was a tent maker. Uh, that was his trade, which is going to end real soon. He's going he's gonna to start full-time ministry uh, real quick. So verse 4 to 6. It says, And he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. So here's a turning point. Paul is saying, okay, I always go to the synagogue. I go to the Jews first. You know, I'm just getting nothing but grief. Enough is enough. Shakes off his clothes and says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But this is also a turning point because now his ministry becomes full time. He's not going to be a tent maker and doing ministry. He's now going to do ministry. And we think that um, 
because of some other scripture references that um, Silas and Timothy, when they came, they also came with an offering uh, for his ministry, for him to be able to to continue uh, doing full-time ministry. Because Paul was valuable to the church as the leading apostle to go to all these different churches and teach them and strengthen them and encourage them. So it's only fitting that uh, he would at this point enter full-time ministry. But again, if you just kind of read this, you don't really get that. You don't really understand that. But that's where he's at. He's in full-time, doing full-time ministry now. So, verse 7 to 11. And he departed from there and went to a house of a certain man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Now, when it says worshiper of God, it doesn't mean he was a Christian. When he says worshiper of God, what it usually means is Old Testament. It usually means, you know, before that. So when you see these things, you know, it, it, it uh, um, look at how they're described. And it gives you an idea of, of who they are. So knew of God, you know, obviously worshipped God, but had yet to have the gospel preached to him. Whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So he's with the Corinthians for a year and a half, 18 months. And why do you think God comes to him in a vision and says to him, no one's going to attack you, no one's going to harm you? Why would he tell him that? Maybe to reassure him that his decision to go to the Gentiles was right. Yeah, to reassure him, and because now he's going to stay in one place for eighteen months, he's going to be preaching to the Gentiles and whoever else, and it's like reassuring him because when we read the other things, he'll come into town, and the next thing you know, they want to throw him out of town. He's got to leave at night. They want to throw him in jail. They want to stone him, all these things. And so now God comes to him to a vision to reassure him uh, that, you know, you're going to stay here and you're going to strengthen this church. And this church is very important because it's a big uh, commercial center, much more than Athens. It's a very large commercial uh, center and uh, a lot was going on there. So it was very important to get that church established and that church uh, to be strong. So he's with them for 18 months. So when you read the letter to the Corinthians, now realize he has a personal relationship with with this church, right? He's been there 18 months. He knows them. So when you read his letters and he says, give my love to so-and-so, or give my love to so it's because he's been there, right? Okay. So. You okay, Mary? Uh, verse 18, now chapter 18, I'm sorry, verse 12. Chapter 18, verse 12. But while uh, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, that is means he was governor 
uh, this Galileo was the governor of the region. The Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before, jud- before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law, according to the, the Old Testament, is what they're saying. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or of vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves, for I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat, and they all took hold of Sosinthes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And and Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. This was an angry mob, and they wanted to take it out on somebody. And so they weren't getting anything from the governor. So the head of the of the synagogue, who was allowing Paul to come in, they start beating him up. Okay, but there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, Galileo, as the governor of the region, had to be careful because if he um, made any judgment. It could set a legal precedent. So he's basically bouncing it back to the Jews and saying, this is a matter for you, your law. This is not a matter for the law that I'm, I'm dealing with. Now this is important because he's saying, you guys deal with it. And he looks at, at Christianity as being, in a sense, under the umbrella of Judaism. Which is not a stretch because, again... Christianity comes out of what? The Old Testament, Judaism. So he's basically saying, you guys are arguing over your own law. You're asking me to make a judgment based on secular law. Now this is important because when you come to separation of church and state today, and while and while these things are put into our, our constitution and stuff, the idea is that secular law can now not make judgment on theological, biblical law. Two separate issues. That's a separation of church and state. Not that they can't co-mingle. Yeah. I had a question, sorry, a little unrelated to, on verse 17, when it says they all took a hold of Sosthenes. Yeah. So Sosthenes, at this point, was a Jew. Yes. He became a Christian later on, right? Yeah, I believe so, yes. Yes, or somebody with the same name. Sometimes there's crossovers, and it's interesting here. Because right here they reference First Corinthians, verse one, and you know Paul references him. Yeah, yeah, and he's, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's actually a Greek name, and so he's he's identified here as his Greek name, but he's a leader of the synagogue, so he's a Jew. Because but remember, they had two names. Mm-hmm. You get a Jewish name, and you had a you had a Greek name, uh, so. So yeah, he later does become. So it's an important point here that, and this is what is kind of being argued today when you look at the church and the governor saying we can do this and we can't do that. It's like in saying, you know, and we're saying, but wait a minute, our law tells us we are together. 
Our law tells us we are to worship our God. Our law says this, and now you're saying the law says we can't do that. That's a problem. That's that's a bridge that shouldn't be there. Because now what you're doing is you're taking uh, church and state and bringing them together. But there should be that, that separation. Sometimes it gets... It, People that don't like the church want to use separation of church and state as saying the church shouldn't be involved in, in, in government. That's crazy. We should be involved because of the morals and all the other stuff that, that, that we bring to the arena. But those that don't want that and don't want the accountability, that's the argument they make. But it's a totally bogus argument. So here, going back, biblical antecedent, right here, for a governor of the region saying... I can't, I can't judge on what you want me to judge. That's biblical law. You guys have that. You know that. I don't know that. That's not my area. So don't come over here. And then he sees them beating up the guy because they're, they're mad. And he's just kind of looking on in amusement. He said, man, you guys are crazy. <laughs> you guys are crazy. You know? But that's, that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, so any thoughts, questions on that? There's a lot of stuff in Acts, you know, if you really look, there's a lot of stuff in Acts that sometimes it just does not get taught or brought out. Uh, verse 18, chapter 18, verse 18. And Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with them were Priscilla and Achaia. And Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. And they came to Ephesus... And he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, remember, he just got to saying, I'm just going to go into the Gentiles. But he's not going to stay away from his brethren. He's going to do it. He's just, you know, again, think of the frustration of Paul. I'm here. I'm teaching you from Scripture. I'm showing you. And you guys aren't getting it, and you guys want to stone me, and you you want to get this, and I'm just trying to lead you to salvation, you know, through faith in Christ. And he says, you know, forget it. I'm not going to you guys anymore. And then the next opportunity he has, what does he do? He goes to the synagogue and preaches to the Jews. But it does open up the the turning point is his ministry does become much more Gentile orientated. Uh, he entered the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews, and when they asked him to stay a little, for a, a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he sent sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. So what he does when he leaves Corinth, gets on a boat, here cruises to Ephesus. They want him to stay. Uh, he says, if God's willing, I will come back to you. And he sets sail. He comes down over here. Comes down to Caesarea. Here. And then eventually he's going to come back up to Antioch where it all started. Remember, this is the second church, but this is more of the sending church in the book of Acts. Because this is where a lot of teaching is going on. This is where a lot of, it's multicultural. So a lot of sending is going out of, out of Antioch. Where the church in Jerusalem was under persecution from Rome in, in a few short years from now. Then, as we, as we, as we, as we read, 
uh, the church will be dispersed in Jerusalem. So Antioch is kind of the center of things there. Now, he says he went and got his, he went and got his hair cut because he was taking a vow. Now, she thinks I'm going to go someplace with this. No, just so he said it. <laughs> yeah. Now, we don't know if he's ending a vow or he's beginning a vow. And what the vow was, it was a Nazarite vow. And what it meant was that for 18 months or so, I am going to dedicate my life to God, to scripture, to prayer, to serving God. And as a sign of that, I am not going to cut my hair. And, and uh, Nazarenes, a lot of times, would, wouldn't even cut their hair ever. You know, um, just, just as a little point of reference, I think I said this to you before. If you look at the, uh, I'm not saying it is, because we don't know, but the Shroud of Turin. You heard of the Shroud of Turin, which they, 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 some people say is the, is the burial cloth of, of Christ and has the image on the front, and you see the front. Um, you know, it's, it's correct in that, you know, the blood marks are here, not here, because this is where you would, you would put it, because this would hold the weight. And the same thing with the, with the ankle. It's not in the foot, it's, it's here in the, in the ankle, because that would hold the weight. So that's all correct. There's also evidence of coins, because that's what they would do. They would put a coin on the, on the eye. Yeah, yeah, yada. But I'm saying all of this is that Jesus of Nazareth, what you generally don't see, and I encourage you to do it, Google it, look at the backside of the Shroud of Turin, and what you'll see is uh, this is the top of Jesus' head and his body over here. What you see are hair that was braided very long, about halfway down the back, and it would be braided. And so if you were a Nazarene, and you, you would have hair like that, you would braid it back like that. So just a little conversation piece. I'm not saying that is or it isn't the uh, burial thing, but it's, it's correct that way. So we don't know here if he's starting a vow or ending a vow. We don't know, but it's a vow, and it's a vow. It's a Nazarene thing, and it was quite common back in those days. A lot of, a lot of men uh, did it. And then sometimes, you know, you could probably do it if you wanted to pretend like you were very pious and you weren't, you know, you'd have long hair. And people would think you were, you know, more than you were. So what happens now is Paul's second missionary journey is over. He's back in Antioch where he started. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the journey over here. Today we started over here. Boom, he's here. And so, realize this journey took several weeks, uh, maybe a month or more to do, but we read it in a couple verses. So again, you don't, you, don't, you don't get the time frame as well. So, any thoughts or questions on Paul's second missionary journey? Right there, one of the bullet points is Ephesians was home of... Yeah. It was what? If Ephesus was home of... Oh, I'm sorry, I put that thing... Yeah, Ephesus was home of the temple of Artemis, A-R-T-E-M-I-S, or the temple of Diana, which, a, which was a fertility cult. 
It was one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. So we're going to read right now. He's going to go back to Ephesus. But Ephesus, steeped in idolatry, steeped in this kind of stuff. And so um, in the temple of, thanks for stopping me with this, because the temple of, 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 of Artemis, um, um or the Temple of Diana, it's the same thing. Diana is the is the Roman. Artemis is the is the Greek name. Um, women were were held in very high esteem for the main fact that they could conceive and carry a child where a man couldn't. So it becomes a fertility cult. And there was a lot of uh, um, things that went on in there that's not for a PG audience. Um, but uh, you know, that temple was huge. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. Uh, people came there from all around. But the teachers were all women. So just kind of hold this and put it in the, in the, in the back of your quill. Um, that when Paul is later talking about women in ministry, and he says, I do not allow a woman to teach. But yet we have references where Paul and the deaconesses and women in position in the church and doing things, um, you know, he makes it clear, I do not allow a woman to have authority over a man. That's that's clear. But he says to teach, because part of the problem was the women that were coming into the church would want to do what? If they were from a temple of Artemis in that area, they wanted to teach because they had been the teachers and now here's this new thing, and they're going to, well, well, let me set you straight. So if he doesn't clamp down on this, if the church doesn't clamp down on it, it's not an indictment against a woman being able to, 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 to teach something. It's an indictment against idolatry coming into the church. But an, an authoritative thing, he makes it clear that a man would have authority over over the female in the, in the structure that way. But... So just kind of put that in there so later when you're reading that, because uh, that's kind of where that comes from. So if you don't know the background, if you don't know what's going on there, and you just read that and you think and you go, oh, my God, he's a woman hater. He doesn't like this. He's not married. He doesn't like women. He's, you know, yeah, yeah. And that's not necessarily what's going on, you know. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think there is any correlation with what Paul said about women um, to Genesis, where it says the Bible says that it was a woman that was um, what is the word? Not Adam was not. What's the word I want? The woman was um, tempted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, a weaker vessel. In the sense you're saying, or she was tempted. Tempted. Yes. Yeah, but Adam was right there with her. Yes. But she she took it. Mm-hmm. She took the initiative. But then after the fall. You know, it says after the fall that the woman's desire is going to be for the man's position. So there could be a reference in that. She's going to want that position. You know, so could be that way too, yeah. Can I answer your question? Yeah, okay. Any other questions on that? So now we're going to go to Paul's third missionary journey, which begins in verse... 23, 1823. Having spent some time there, where? 
Antioch, mm-hmm. right? Having spent some time there, he departed and passed successively through the Galatian region and for Phrygia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So in other words, he's here for a while, and he says, I'm going to go back out. And now he's going through this area. There's Galatia and all that. This is the region in here. And he's strengthening the churches along the way. Now remember, the churches are our home churches. There's no steeples, there's no buildings, there's no denominations. That's where people are gathered in Christ's name. And so uh, it's kind of sort of an underground church, sort of a, a church if, if Rome isn't necessarily persecuting Christians, then they're going to be more visible. If Rome is persecuting Christians, they're going to be a little less. But notice from here, he's on a straight line to go back to Ephesus. Remember, he said, if God's willing, I'm going, to re- I'm going to return to you. So this is the beginning of Paul's missionary journey. And so, again, it just says he leaves, and he's strengthening the churches. We don't have an exact time frame here, but this could be several months. We're stopping at these different churches and along the way, and talking to people, and they want to, you know, know this or that. I mean, think about it for a second. If you had a church or you were a member of a, a church there and the Apostle Paul was coming through, that's going to elicit some excitement, maybe some fear. Uh, you know, because, you know, Paul's, Paul's a, you know, kind of a tough guy. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to be excited to think about the Apostle Paul is going to come and strengthen your church. You know, You know, what he did, how he did it, I don't know. But... For example, um, not 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 to make a. This is just from the book of Steve. When I first became a pastor here, the first thing I did was look at the uh, the constitution and the bylaws because I wanted to see the structure of the church, wanted to see how it was set up, wanted to see if there was anything in there that needed to be changed or or, or corrected. You know, so it could be things like that. And then the next thing you do, you look at the congregation and you say you kind of get a handle for where they are theologically, uh, you meet the people, you, you you listen to their questions, you see where they're at, you begin to do the Bible studies or whatever it is, and then you get, a, you get a sense of what is needed or where they're at or what they don't need or what needs to be strengthened or what needs to be encouraged. So he's traveling through that region. So verse uh, 24 to 28. <clears throat> It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos and an Alexandrian by birth. Now, Alexandria is down here. It's in northern Africa. But he's living up in this region. Apollos. And uh, let's see. Now a certain Jew named Apollos and Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. Okay, what were the scriptures? Old Testament. Testament. He was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, and he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John, which was what? 
Repentance. So, here's a guy who knew the Old Testament, uh, loved God, was serving God, and at some point he had encountered John, or, you know, or someone that was associated with John. He was baptized, he had repented, but he had not yet received the gospel. Okay? So here's an Old Testament guy who is now John's disciple. He hasn't fully been converted over yet. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, verse 25, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Achaia heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He was already an accurate teacher up to what? The baptism of John. Right? And so he says, you got, you got it right, you got it right, you got it right. Now here's where you need to be corrected. Here's where you need to be throttled back. Uh, and when he, verse 27, and when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him and when he arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. It's a little thing there, but what that means is you're saved by grace. grace. So it means now salvation through Jesus Christ, saved by grace, not the works of the law. Okay, He helped greatly those who had believed through grace. For he was powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, so here's a guy, uh, Old Testament, baptism of John, uh, Priscilla and Achaia see him, they say, man, this guy is good, this guy is good, oh, he doesn't have the gospel. They give him the gospel, they do that, because he's, he's the groundwork has already been laid, he accepts it, he receives it, and now he just carries on, and... Uh, um, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. Um, little side note there. The scriptures lead us to Christ. That's why in evangelism, we use the scriptures. Right? We don't use emotion. We don't use, you know, trying to uh, uh, identify with them on some different level. You use the scriptures, what God has said about salvation, who it's through, what we need to do. Examine our heart and see that we're sinners. Confess, repent, confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, what's going to happen next week, I'm going to go into a little bit of chapter 19 because I have some time here. Um, what's going to happen next week is during this time where he's at Ephesus, he's going to be writing First and Second Corinthians, and he's going to be writing Romans. And uh, just because I have the time, you don't have to turn to it, but First Corinthians chapter 3. The problem in the church in Corinth was they were starting to follow different teachers. Now we found out here's Apollos. He's a he's a he's an excellent teacher. Paul's a teacher. You got Barnabas as a teacher. Timothy's a teacher. 
And so what's happening is groups are now starting to form behind those different individuals. And uh, uh, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is Paul writing to Corinthians. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. He says they're still growing, they're still learning. For you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy, strife among you, and are you not fleshly, are you not walking like mere men? And now here he gets to the problem. He says, for when one says, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. And so he goes on here to explain that. You can go back to Acts. But this is the same Apollos. And so, again, it's a warning to the church because what happens, what's happened to the church is a lot of times we turn our leaders into celebrities. And once they become a celebrity, then it's a recipe for disaster. You know, they should be humble servants of God. And so even way back then, you had this, well, I'm going to follow Apollos. No, my guy is Paul. You know, and what are you doing? You're not elevating them one above the other, and, you know, the ground is, is level, whether, whether you're preaching, teaching, greeting, doing whatever, we're all the same, we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of, of the glory of God, we all need salvation through Jesus Christ. So, just to kind of point that out, because next week and the week after, I'll be pointing some other things out in First and Second Corinthians, and then uh, um, make mentions of Romans a little bit, but once we get done with our study in Acts in a few weeks. I'm probably going to go into Romans and do Romans as one solid bit of teaching. But anyway, now he's in uh, chapter 19, verse 1 to 7. And it came about that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He came through the upper country. Up this way because there's down here. He's up here, so now he's over here in Ephesus. He found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not yet even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now notice, these are some disciples, this is the church, this is the early church, and they haven't yet heard of the Holy Spirit. So see the importance of teaching, and Paul going, and, and Barnabas, and Timothy, and, and Apollos, and all them, because the structure's got to be laid down, and just think of the logistic problem here. You can't send an email. You can't drive from one town to town. I mean, you can't even really send a letter that's going to travel that fast because it's got to be hand-carried, hand-delivered. And so, you know, along the way, just imagine all the things that we don't know that Paul is, is having to address or the concerns that's going on. And so Paul says, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. 
And he said to them, verse 3, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So again, disciples of John were up there. You know, in again, repentance. So, and repentance does what? Prepares you for salvation. You have to repent before salvation. In verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. And then he says, this is in Jesus. So in other words, he says, Paul was doing, um, he was saying that, that uh, uh, John was doing something, getting you ready for Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Verse 5, and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now remember, baptized means changed. Okay, the root of the word, baptizo, it's changed. Uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're changed. You're now enabled to do something. Uh, baptism uh, in, into Christ, you're now changed from life to death. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And they were, And there were in all about twelve men. Now, notice he's on his way to the larger church in Ephesus. He's on his way to different things. But he sees these few believers, these 12, and he stops. And, and he makes sure that they understand, what is it that you're baptized into? What do you, what do you, what do you, you know? It's like, <laughs> I felt bad about doing this once, but the second time I did it, I didn't feel so bad. Uh <laughs> I was at the, I was at the gym, and and there was a guy there, and I forgot what his opening line to me was, but he was basically he was he was trying to preach the gospel, but he wasn't doing a real good job. But his heart was right, you know. I I knew what he wanted what he wanted to do, and so so I just I just said, I just kind of I don't want to say I played along with him, but I just wanted to see where he was going to go. And basically, he was giving me a card to a church and saying, you need to ask Jesus in your heart. And my question was, well, why? What is that going to do? You know, and I just pressed him. And then I, then I went through the gospel presentation. I told him, I said, this is what you need to do. Yeah, and all of a sudden, he looked at me like, you know, you know you're know, you saved, aren't you? And I go, yeah, I'm a pastor. And then he got a little scared. You know, <laughs> I said, don't get scared. Don't, it's okay. It's okay. But the point was, is that when you come across that, you want to apply a correction because if you don't, you don't know if you if you'll ever see them again, and you don't know where they're coming from, and you know you're you're not you 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 have to do it in, in a in a loving way, in a kind way, so that so that they understand that you're 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 trying to help them, um, because we all do things in the beginning wrong, and we praise God for those mentors and those people that have showed us the right way to do things along the way. Uh, so it says there in verse 6 that when Paul had laid hands upon them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were speaking with tongues and prophesying again they the question here was did you receive the Holy Spirit we have not yet heard if there's a Holy Spirit he does a little Bible study they receive the Holy Spirit and as they receive the Holy Spirit they receive the Holy Spirit the same way the Jews did 
in Acts chapter 2, and in the same way the Gentiles did, a couple chapters later, uh, received it the same way. So again, the thing is that you're, you're changed and you're enabled to do ministry, and the, and the reference to tongues there is that something supernatural is happening that you cannot do on your own, because you're speaking in tongues uh, with a uh, um, uh, someone else is there hearing you speak in another language. You're not speaking in an unknown language. And then sometimes people say, well, Paul laid his hands on them. And I'm not speaking out against laying hands on them, but what was Paul doing right before that? In verse 4, And Paul said to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling them people to believe in him who was coming after him. Verse 5, And when they had heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, I'm not saying definitively because Scripture doesn't tell us, but Paul could have had them in the water. Mm. He could have been in the water. Paul put his hands on them. He's baptizing them in the water. We don't know. Uh, uh, so, you know, you can't, really run with that and say, okay, this is what was going on, and yada, yada, yada. So there's about 12 men, and Paul took the time uh, to go uh, make sure that these disciples of John uh, now went to the next level. Thoughts, questions on that? Then verse 8 to 10, we'll close with this for tonight. It says, and he entered the synagogue, where he said he wasn't going to be going, <laughs> the synagogue, continued to speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, notice the capital? The church, you know, didn't have names like, you know, first... Baptist Church of Artesia and stuff, you know, uh, some were called um, Nazarenes, not the Church of Nazarene, but they were called Nazarenes because they because they followed Jesus of Nazareth. And then others, the, the term was that they were of the way. Uh, they were, uh, um, um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's the, those of the way. You know, this is just the way the church was uh, uh, being recognized. So again, verse 9, But when they were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude. By the way, you're preaching the gospel to somebody and they're not getting it. You're in good company. Apostle Paul preached the gospel and they didn't get it. You know, not everybody got saved that Jesus preached to. But that doesn't mean we stop. So you just, just realize... Again, it's, you know, people, they harden their hearts and they just don't want to. But it doesn't mean we stop. Uh, it says, He withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. There was a school there. This guy, Tyrannius, was ahead of it. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. So this is where we're going to leave Paul. We're going to leave him in Ephesus for two years. That's where he's going to be. So when he's writing his, he, writing his letter later on to the church in Ephesus, he spent two years with them. He knows them. To the Galatians, to the churches there, he passed through. He knew them. To the Corinthians, he knew them. Philippi, he's going to be visiting Philippi. Thessalonica, up over, over in here. 
He knows these churches. He knows these people. They know him. They came. Think about it. The Apostle Paul for two years is in a school of learning. People must have been coming left and right to come down and hear that. You know, hear him preach and preach and teach. So, uh, let's see what I want to say here. Verse 8. He entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. That's what salvation is. We enter the kingdom of God. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the same thing as the kingdom of heaven. It comes down from heaven with Christ. We enter into it. Therefore, that is our celestial home, our, our end game, the kingdom of God. That is what we enter. We don't enter the church. The church is what we become when we gather together. Technically, we're a church right here on Wednesday night. We're a church. Because we're, we're gathered together. So we don't enter the church. We enter the kingdom of God. So um, sometimes that doesn't get preached enough either. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And that was asked of Jesus. And he says it's not eating or drinking. You know, it's, it's spiritual. It's, a, it's a, the kingdom of God. So any thoughts, questions on that? So, we just, tonight, we, we, Paul, man, we went from here, all the way over to here, brought him back over here, and he's back over here, about five years, probably, five, six years of ministry, and don't forget, next week, when we're in Ephesus, now that he's in Ephesus for two years, is he's going to be, he's going to be writing some letters, and uh, uh, he's going to be writing First and Second Corinthians, and he's going to write Romans from Ephesus during this time where he's camped out there. So he's like a, he's like a university professor there for two years, and he's writing papers. And, uh, uh, and by the way, the reason I want to do Romans line by line is because Romans is Christianity 101. It is a single most solid uh, uh, epistle for what Christianity is from Alpha to Omega, beginning and end. It's just solid, solid, solid teaching. We'll probably reference a lot of stuff in First and Second Corinthians. Is there any thoughts, questions? Yeah. I was wondering, uh, uh, while we've encountered Apollos, I was wondering if there were any letters that we know of that he may have written. The who? Apollos. Yes and no. I don't know offhand of Apollos, but they have letters of Barnabas. There was actually a gospel of Barnabas and it wasn't written by that Barnabas. It was written later. What they used to do was it could be a couple hundred years later and, and they would write something, the, the gospel of Barnabas. And the people that read it originally knew it was not Barnabas because they knew Barnabas was dead for for two hundred years, but what they were they were honoring the name of Barnabas in this letter, and so this is where sometimes late at night you'll see those little things on TV, the lost books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got a book in my office um, that has a lot of those different manuscripts. There are other letters and bits and fragments of things, um, but they are not deemed canonical. They are not deemed by the. Uh, uh, 
um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They can be good historical pieces, um, but um, the uh, um, the ones that we have are first person accounts like Paul and Peter and James and John and uh, Mark and Luke. Those are the ones that we have. Because realize, after this, which you now, where we're at really now, is we're actually in the second generation of Christianity. Because it's already been 20-some years, 25 years since since Christ went on the cross. So the early church, a lot of those people have already wanted to be with the Lord or whatever. And now you're having new people and new influences coming into it. And so it's the, it's the you're really encountering now the second um, generation of, of believers. Mm-hmm. And it's like anything, the second generation is always different than the first generation. And then the third generation is completely different than the first generation. But, again, this is the task of the church to make sure that the first generation and the last generation all believe the same thing. And how are you going to do that without the power of God? Yeah. Right? So again, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, to enable us to do ministry so that the story so that the gospel, the message, everything stays together and intact from the first generation to the last generation. So he says this word of God will not be, you know, withered away until all things have been fulfilled. So again, that's just the power of power of God. That right there resonates for the work of the Holy Spirit, where people want to deny that. And you say, how can you get... 66 books, multiple authors over a time period of 4,000 years telling one story that connects and is, resonates today just as strongly as it did when it was written. And yet it was written for people that live very simple lives compared to the lives we live that, you know, we think we're pretty tech, tech, technically advanced, but... What's it going to be like 20 years from now? You know, it's going to be a whole, whole different ballgame. Diego won't even be able to keep up. You know? Oh, I'll keep up. Oh, he'll keep up. Right? <laughs> he'll be on the cutting edge. So, anyway, any other thoughts, questions? Mary? This, this is kind of a stupid question, but it's confusing. No stupid questions. Okay, it said, in the last verse that you read, it said that, uh, it said that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, Paul was in Asia. He went to Asia, where he heard the word of the word of the Lord. Where, he, um, where he heard the, way, the the word of the Lord, both from Jews and Gentiles. I mean, and Greeks. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Is this the same Asia? Like, okay, this is known as technically right here Asia. Uh huh. This is actually Turkey, present-day Turkey, but it also it has it it, it it tends to have the title Asia Minor because technically Asia, even over in here, Syria and in in Canaan and in uh, in Israel and all that, everything here, this way, going uh, uh, who would that be east, going going east would be considered Asia. That was all part of Asia. Okay. Now we just look at Asia as 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 China 
and a few of the islands off the coast, you know, Malaysia and the Philippines and stuff like that. But here's Asia right here. Here's my Asia right here. So this used to be referred to as Asia Minor. I have a question though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but it, it's, it's what we know today as, as uh, Greece. Turkey. 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 And this over here, Macedonia and uh, Thrace over here is uh, is Greece up over in this way here. And so if we have a larger map, then you get uh, Italy and Spain and England and Russia is up here. There's the Black Sea. On the other side of the Black Sea is uh, begins Russia. So if you look at it, you know, on a, on a big map. So, but that's where the church. Yeah, I remember I used to read that, and I'd say, "Well, wait a minute, Asia. What are you talking about? Where, where, where in, where in the, the Holy Land? What do you mean Asia? Mm -hmm. That's what it was called, Asia Minor. Asia. So, it was all part of that of the continents. So, it was a good question. Very good question. Yes. I'm a little confused. Okay. So the disciples that Paul encountered had been baptized by John the Baptist, mm -hmm. and then he baptized him again. Was it an immersion in water again? Possibly. That's because he says he had his hands on them. So I'm saying, you know, you could have been on dry land, but usually what they did with them, they wanted to baptize them with water as soon as they could. That's, that's what the early early church did. But the baptism just represented the baptism that Jesus did when he came down into the into the water. Mm -hmm. And so the one baptism is the baptism of repentance. You changed mm -hmm. from sinning to now trying to stop being a sinner. The next baptism is the baptism of, of uh, into eternal life uh, through Jesus Christ. So they, they received the they receive the word with grace, mm -hmm. so that's that. And then you have water baptism, which is just an outward sign of what's going on internally. <coughs> that's water baptism, and then you have baptism with the Holy Spirit, which changes you again. So there's four baptisms. Mm -hmm. So when we hear the word baptism, we just think water, yes. but there's actually four baptisms. You know, so but to Paul's credit, he saw that they were. Part way there, they weren't all the way there. Again, it's like it's like when you talk to someone and they're and they're saying, "Well, this is the way I see God," and they and they and they see it and they they've, they've got most of it, but they don't understand maybe the atonement, mm -hmm. the substitutionary death of Christ. And so you you take them through that mm -hmm. and why it's important to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, not that he just or they might think. Jesus was just a prophet or an enlightened man. You got to take him the next step. No, this is God. Only God can forgive sins. You know? So that's what Paul was doing. He took him all the way through that, through all four stages of, of baptism. That's why you could write. Uh, when I was on when I was in seminary. I wrote a thing on conversion using that those four baptisms. As you know, when you're 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 changed because you begin to hear it, you're convicted as a sinner. I'm a sinner. Right there's a change, because before I I can do anything I want. I'm okay. I'm whatever. You know. All of a sudden, then you realize I've sinned against God. Oh no. Well, then you need to repent, and then you need to believe 
that God so loved you he sent and then you need the water and then along the way with that usually right after you, you believe you get the baptism of the, the Holy Spirit so that's the complete package of salvation that's why you, that's why when we when we teach evangelism we teach from repentance all the way through because sometimes people just or you just need Jesus but you're, you're only getting a snippet you know it's, it's a cut and paste you need you need the whole thing. so make sense questions good look on your face no okay Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, Lord, and for uh, Apollos and, and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus and, and Priscilla and, 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 and Achaia, Lord, and, and all of them, Lord, that uh, labored, Lord, to build the church. All of those that uh, walked the hard miles, all of those that endured, all of those that suffered and Lord, even the uh, martyrdom of the apostles and, and others, uh, Lord, we just thank you that uh, you're steadfast and true and that we have your word today and that we can follow in the same teaching, Lord, that Paul taught, that we can follow in the same way uh, that they walked, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you for this, Lord, and we thank you for this time. Watch over us, strengthen and encourage us, Lord, keep us healthy and strengthen us. And in all of this, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. See you next week.